Well, welcome to Highlight Church. Um, Church, let's go ahead and honor our first-time guests. Um, Let's give them a hand clap. Let's welcome them. Thank you all for coming. Uh, Like I just mentioned, uh, we're nine weeks young, and uh, God is moving, and it's been a blessing to uh, build community and study God's Word together. Um, We are preparing to participate with uh, the city of Gaithersburg and Germantown help uh, in a toy drive to help supply hundreds of families with toys that they otherwise couldn't afford. So if you didn't bring toys this weekend, please bring toys next weekend on the 18th um, so that we can make a a fine donation to the city. We are ending a three-week series today called Here Now. Um, has anyone enjoyed this series? Has it been, has it been pretty good? Pretty epic? Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, we're ending a, a, a series, three weeks, kind of short uh, today. And next Sunday, uh, we're going to talk about the birth of Jesus. But we're going to try to come from a fresh angle um, to, to kind of present some thoughts in order to shift our paradigm and our perspective about the birth of Jesus Christ. Um, this week, we're going to talk about a prophecy that leads into his birth, that points us to the birth of the Savior uh, out of the book of Isaiah, and we'll go there in a few seconds. So here now is all about uh, the concept of how prophets were sent in the Old Testament um, to foretell what God was going to do, be it a a blessing of hope or a warning, um, such as, you know, if you continue to do this, this is going to happen. But if you continue to obey This is what God is going to do. He's going to bless you. He's going to show up in a major way in your life. Um, But prophecy is not always designed to just give you hope for the future or to just warn you or to to just reveal what you did yesterday. Hey, I don't know you, but I know you were at uh, McDonald's yesterday and you had a large fry and you had a Big Mac. Now, you know, it's not just designed to, to be cool and to be spooky and all that. Prophecy was given in order to encourage the people in the present day to follow, obey, and trust the Lord. And so uh, we're going to study a very powerful prophecy this morning. Uh, I think that you're going to like today's message. I think you're going to be encouraged. Uh, A few more announcements before I get started. We're not going to have a Christmas Eve service this year. We're going to prepare for one next year. And we're also looking to prepare for a big Easter. We want to serve our city in some way. Uh, We're still creatively processing through how Easter is going to look, but it's going to be fun. Um, So, yeah, we're not going to have Christmas Eve service. Uh, We're going to prepare next year. Uh, We start our 21-day fast on January the 8th. Please don't skip out on us, on our fast. Fasting is is powerful. It's it's life-altering. Um, it, it, Jesus said that uh, you can pray, but uh, sometimes you have to pray and fast if, uh, if, if certain things are going to come out of your life. So we invite you into this. I've been fasting for seven years, and I've just seen God heal, heal sickness, restore marriages, uh, bless people in their finances. Uh, I've seen lives change. I've seen 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds touched by the presence of God during a fast, and now they're doing great things in life. So 
Fasting is big, and we're going to be doing it for 21 days. I've seen husbands come back home. I've seen kids come back home. I've seen cancer rebuked. I've seen limbs grow in front of me. Um, fasting is, is amazing. And if you would read Mark 9, 29, Jesus said, you have to fast for certain things. And so we'll preach about that in January. We're going to get into this message um, today. Today is entitled, The Answer You Never Asked For. The Answer You Never Asked For. Um, yeah. Have you ever, uh, you know, I know, I think all of us have, been in school, be it a science class or chemistry, and the teacher had the problem, worked it out, got to the solution. You, you understood, you know, the problem is the problem. Uh, you see where they got to the solution, and you see how she or he worked, worked it all out, but there's somewhere... Uh, within that process that you just, you didn't understand, like, the, how it all worked out, how it all came together. Um, you see the answer, you see the problem, you see how she worked it out, but it, it, something just didn't connect for you. And so you're in class, and, and you look around, and it looks like majority of your class understands because they're paying attention. Then you have another small percentage that really doesn't care. Maybe they're asleep or something. Um, but you seem to kind of be in the middle. You're between caring enough to understand, but you don't. And so in your heart and in your mind, you want to ask the teacher, like, could you explain that part or like go back over it? But there's something there. there there's something that tells you this, and we all have battled with this even today. Don't you ask that question. It's a stupid question. You're going to look stupid if you do. Like, don't ask it. You're going to look dumb. And you just kind of, ah. I'll just, I'll wait. And you wait, and you wait, and not even, you know, sometimes even after class, we don't ask the teacher, we don't ask a friend, and we go home that night not understanding our homework. And uh, we try to study it. Some of us were stubborn. We try to understand it on our own, and all the way up until the test, we, we get that particular problem wrong, simply because we just didn't ask for clarity. And so... The, 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 the interesting thing about it is, is that your teacher has the answer you never asked for. There's, there's an answer that's available, but you don't, you don't get it because you don't request it. And um, I, think, I think life can be like that sometimes. Today we're going to talk about the children of Israel. Uh, and they're in a situation where, where they're in civil War. So you have the northern kingdom, which is made up of ten tribes. Uh, their nickname is Ephraim. And then you have the southern kingdom, Judah, uh, which is made up of two tribes. And uh, uh, Israel, the northern tribe, has teamed up with Syria to attack Judah. The Bible says that the word gets to the royal court of Judah, and everyone in Judah is in fear. They're in terror, terror. They're, they're discouraged. They don't know what to do. And so King Ahaz is the king of Judah. And he's up against King Pekah, who is the king of Israel, and King Razan, who is the king of Syria. And Ahaz is, he doesn't know what to do. All of the leaders are distraught. They're distressed. They're, 
They're outnumbered. They're, oh, my God, we're going to be destroyed. We're going to be taken as captives. What are we going to do? We're in a debacle. This is an impossible situation. And so God sends the prophet Isaiah to talk to King Ahaz. The reason they're in civil war was because hundreds of years ago, they started, the, Israel in their entirety started to, like God is here. This is what Israel started to do with God. God is there. They started to do this. And so being that the spirit of the Lord is a unifying spirit, whenever you and I don't follow God together, there's a chance that we're going to clash and butt heads at a certain point without the peace and the spirit of God to help us to, to come together. And so during this time of turning their backs on the father, they ultimately split apart. Two kingdoms in Judah, 10 in the northern kingdom, and before you know it, they're just clashing. You have 19 kings in the northern kingdom before they get taken out off uh, to exile by Assyria. 19 all evil kings. Judah tries. Judah has 12 evil kings and seven good kings over like the span of four to 500 years. King Ahaz is not one of the good ones. He's an evil one. And in my studying, this, this was very interesting to me because... You still have God who sends a prophet to tell him, don't fear. I'm not going to allow you to be defeated. I won't allow you to be overcome. Hold on, hold on. Let me, let's do a little review. Because King Ahaz is a worshiper of the idol god, Malak. Malak, one of his requirements were for you to sacrifice your babies in the fire. Ahaz actually sacrificed his sons in the fire to Malak. And so many of us, we sacrifice our children to the enemy when we don't serve God. When we don't provide an environment and a context for them to know Jesus in a gracious way, we're actually offering them to the enemy as they grow up. And so you can't control your kids as they get older. They have to make their own decisions. But don't allow them to find Jesus in spite of your decision making. Allow them to find Jesus because you loved and you followed Christ all the days of your life. But we see the grace and the mercy of God operating in Ahaz's life because he sends the prophet. And he tell Isaiah, the prophet tells Ahaz this. He says, they will not overtake you. This debacle you're in will not take you out. And he uses terms like this. He says, uh, the attack will never happen. Don't worry about the two burnt out embers. They're just... They used to be fiery flames, but now they're all smoke. Don't worry about it. And he tells him this. Isaiah 7, 9 says this. It says, unless, there it is at the bottom. Unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand firm. This struck me too, because when it comes to the spirit of the Lord, It's like we have a responsibility when it comes to God. God can't and he won't do everything for us. He needs our complete and total trust in order to do the impossible continually in our lives. Why wait to be in a crisis before we call on the name of Christ? He'll be there for you. But let's be proactive in our faith. Let's be proactive in our faith. And so what we're going to read today is 
uh, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 10 through 14. And it says this. It says, later the Lord sent this message to King Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign of confirmation, Ahaz. Make it as difficult as you want, as high as heaven or as deep as the place of the dead. But the king refused. No, he said, I will not test the Lord like this. Then Ahaz said, I mean, then Isaiah said, listen, well, you royal family of David, isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? Must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? And we're going to talk about how the prophet's like, you don't have to believe me, but believe him. Like, don't believe the preacher. I'm, I'm just a man, but believe the message. That's pretty much what he's saying. Must you exhaust the patience of God as well? God is like, ask me for anything. This is so good. I got to get to the preaching. So, all, all right, then the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, it's Christmas time. The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Praise God. Lord, give me your mercy and your grace. Lord, use me in this hour, not literal hour, a few minutes, to speak to your people. Bless the Baltimore Ravens. In Jesus' name, amen. God, loosen y'all up. Y'all need to smile at me or something. I'm, I'm struggling up here, man. We're going to pull out three points about this answer you never asked for. So if there are three, you know there are long three. So just stick with me. Point number one just is simply ask for the answer. Ask, pray, request. Ask for the answer. The verse says here, uh, yeah, 10 through 11a says this. It says, later the Lord sent this message to King Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign of confirmation. The other day, my, my uh, oldest son came to me. and He said, Dad, are we going to go see? Do you guys know there's a new Transformers movie coming out in June? Am I the only one, like, super excited? <laughs> and, like, uh, Optimus Prime is tripping out. Yeah. <laughs> like, he comes back, and he's like, Bumblebee jumps, like, hey, man. He's like, forgive me. And I'm like, oh, my God. And then the music, do 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 and I look at my son like, he's like, what happened with Optimus? I said, I don't know. I said, but we're going to see it. He said, um, yeah, right. We're not going to see it. I said, yeah, yeah, we are. We're going to see it. He said, yeah, we're going to go. We're going to stand in the long line, and we're going to have to buy our ticket the next day because we waited too long. And he just walked off on me. I said, okay, I am officially a dad. What was interesting to me is, is that he didn't ask for a sign. He didn't ask for proof. Because in my butler table, I have two free tickets to the movies that don't expire. He didn't ask for a sign of my faithfulness. He, he didn't ask for confirmation. And so the prophet is telling King Ahaz, like, dude, yeah. you got to ask God. This is like simple stuff. This is just, God is real. He created me. He loves me. Just talk to him. Um, I'm going to attempt to not be so deep today. Um, 
The word sign in Hebrew is oh. It, it's an omen promised by prophets as pledges of certain predicted events. And so what Isaiah was telling Ahaz was that there's going to be a virgin, a young girl, a girl who has not had relations with a man who's going to conceive a child in the future. And you're going to, they're, they're going to call him Emmanuel. The fact that she has this child is going to represent the presence of God is with you. Is with you. So you can look forward to that. The reason why you can trust that faithfulness is because Ahaz would have understood his ancestors' history, that with Moses and the children of Israel, when he delivered them out of uh, Egyptian slavery, God was faithful. When he promised Joshua that he would take his uh, people into the promised land, God was faithful. So Ahaz would have known this. That's the thing about it. A lot of us know that God is good. But we choose to live in a way as if he's not. And so... He tells Ahaz, you know this. You know he's faithful. This is a sign. He's told you things before, and he's done it before, and he's faithful like that. And you would also know based upon Numbers 23, 19, which says this. It says that God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried through? And Ahaz would have been like, No, you're right. And so the thing about it is they had to look forward a few hundred years to this promise. We have the privilege and the blessing of looking back 2,000 plus years and knowing historically that Jesus did come. And he did live and he did die. And historically, we can prove that he resurrected. I don't have time to deal with that right now. But we, can, we know that the faithfulness of God is real. Now, Matthew 1, we're having a Bible study today. Matthew 1 says this, verse 21 through 23, and she will have a son. This is the confirmation of that prophecy. Watch this. And she will have a son. You are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All, this, all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Hundreds of years later, he's actually born. So Ahaz should have understood that if God was faithful in the past, he's faithful in the future. What the prophet is trying to tell me, this prophecy is a sign that he's faithful in the present. And so we see this. We see this. And we all have dysfunction, right? We've all done wrong. We've all hurt people. We've all been hurt. We've all sinned. And we felt the effects and the residual impact of sin in our lives. We've been born into broken homes. We've gotten sick. We all feel it. What did Jesus, we all feel this, this, this reality. What did Jesus come to do? In verse 21, it says, for he will save his people from their sin. Now, this is the deal. Sin, the Bible says, all have fallen short of the glory of God in sin. Meaning that if it was between you and the Lord, if it was between you and the Lord, when it comes to getting into heaven, when you die, you could not do it alone. The Bible says that your righteousness, my righteousness, is as a filthy rags. Historically, that meant filthy rags. We have kids in here. I can't do that. So, now, sin, the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. Okay? Someone's following me. The wages of sin is death. Sin is not an action. A lot of you believe that the first sin was the bite of the fruit. 
in the Garden of Eden. It is not. The first sin was disbelief. Had they trusted God, they wouldn't have bit the fruit. What gets a person to hell? Because God doesn't send anyone to hell. What puts a person in hell? Their lack of faith as it concerns the sacrifice and the life and the body of Jesus Christ. Because when you come before God, the only thing God's going to look for to cover you is the blood of Jesus Christ. So what does sin do? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Watch this. When you die, you either enter into the presence of the Lord, according to Paul, or you are separated from God for eternity, for everlasting life. Death, the definition of death in the Greek is separation. Jesus was born to take away what has taken us away from, oh boy, y'all ain't follow me. Jesus was born to take away what has separated us from the Father. What is he telling King Ahaz? He's saying that God is still good no matter what you've done, no matter what sin you've committed, no matter how you feel about him. God is with you and the Savior has taken away your sin. He's taken away your offense. He's taken away everything that you've ever done so that your relationship with the Father and the lines of communication with you and God can be unhindered. So ask. (laughs) Ask. There's nothing hindering you anymore from God. You think you're far. You think you've done bad. You think this situation is too much for God to take care of. You have to ask. Jesus has taken away your sin. You have to ask and you have to trust that. God doesn't want us to be afraid of him. He doesn't want us to avoid him. He doesn't want us to run from him. He wants us to go to him to approach him, to request of him. It says this in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. So then we have a great high priest who has entered heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Jesus knows what it feels like to be a child without a father. Because Joseph, historically, we believe, died at a very young age, and it still wasn't his real father. Jesus knows what it feels like to be tempted to to lust and all that. He knows what it feels like to be beaten, to be spat on, to to have disease. Um, Historically, we don't know how many diseases that Jesus uh, actually uh, contracted when he was on the cross. We know that he had internal bleeding going, going on. We know that he may have died of suffocation and they pierced his lungs and they broke his ribs and they spat on him and they put a crown of thorns on his head and they whipped him with a cat of nine tails. He understands what it means to be left and cold and alone and even his disciples denied him at the end of the day. He understands everything we've ever went through. I wouldn't want to serve a God or follow a religion that didn't understand me. And then the leader of that religion who founded it died. And we know where their caskets are. You go to Jesus's tomb. It ain't nothing in there. There's nobody in there. Why? Because he raised from the grave. He's sitting on the right hand of the father. And because of that, we can have hope. 
We have a high priest. What is a priest? A priest is someone that acts as a mediator between you and God. And we no longer need to go before God in a, in a priesthood and be all washed up and be perfect and be fearful of, of him. The Bible says that when he was on the cross, bleeding to death, dying, that the veil, the veil of the temple that separated man from the presence of God tore from the bottom down, representing that only God could have torn that veil that separated us from the presence of God. That's what Jesus has done. He's brought us into the presence of God. Is this good? Is this good? So we have a high priest, and I love the fact that he understands me because it says this, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There will Uh, There we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help when we need it most. Come boldly, confidently. When my boys run to me, they they run. There's nothing hindering them. Receive his favor and the help you need. My dad said this. He said, I don't care what you've done. Come talk to me. We're, quote, we're quoting Herbert Redding this morning, my father. He said, I don't care what you've done or what, you, what you've ever committed, what you need. Come talk to me. Come ask me. And honestly, I, I have to say my dad is 100% from the field in my life. There's nothing I've ever asked. Maybe, maybe you don't have that relationship with your father. I'm just trying to illustrate something here. There's nothing that I've ever asked my dad that he didn't give me. I'll be transparent. My dad's paying my car payment right now today to help alleviate the pressure that it was going to cost my wife and I financially to move up here and start this church to reach people. And my wife spoke me into asking him because I'm like, "Uh, he ain't going to do it. And as soon as I did it at breakfast one morning, he's like, sure, son, whatever to help you guys out. I'll do it as long as you need me. I'm like, wow, just build my faith up. (laughs) All right, let's... And I haven't asked for anything since. So that's what God wants. John Maxwell, the top leadership guru in the world, says this. You only get answers to questions you ask. So ask God and the great people in your life for guidance and prayer and encouragement. Point number two today. We don't just need to ask. We have to ask greatly. Go big. God wants you to ask greatly. All right. Ask the Lord your God for a sign of confirmation, Ahaz, 11 through 12. Make it as difficult as you want, as high as heaven or as deep as the dead. The king refused. He said, no, I will not test the Lord like that. I know a lot of uh, Fridays when I go to pick up um, my son from, from school, I plan to uh, go get something to eat. So I ask him, what do you want to eat? He has a, he has a top three, um, Chipotle, Subway, and Chick-fil-A. And so majority of the time, he's, he's going to ask me to go to, go to Subway or, uh, or Chick-fil-A. And I know when he's asking for those two, he's shooting low. He, he's shooting low. And everything in me wants him to ask for Chipotle, right? Like, please, just trust me. I want to give you Chipotle, son. I know you're shooting low. The, the, the interesting thing about it is, is 
I'm asking him what he wants because it's my will to give it to him. And as long as he asks, and as long as his desires conform to my will, there's nothing that he can ask me for and not receive. This is like you and God relationship 101. My relationship with God one-on-one. As long as my wants conform to his will, there's nothing he won't give me. Um, I just had a friend uh, call me last night. Won't put his name out there, but he and his wife have been trying to have a, a child for quite a long time. And this man has been serving God for years. And we've been praying the heavens down for him, asking greatly. And, uh, you know, you get to that point where it's like, I mean, how long are we going to ask God? And he just called me last night and, and said that they, they got pregnant this year. And, uh, yeah, we can clap for that. That's God's faithfulness. Um, because he's always aligned his life with the will of God. And so, but we don't ask greatly. I think partly because my, my son, if I go to Chick-fil-A, I'll get the ice cream. What, what, what Isaiah doesn't tell us is something about hidden dependence. Um, if you will read Chronicles, you see where King Ahaz is actually not asking God because he doesn't want to. King Ahaz is not asking God because he's dependent on another resource. That's not God. His hidden, we don't ask God greatly a lot because of hidden dependencies, resources, things, people. He's not asking God because he has jumped in the bed with uh, Assyria. Because at one point, Assyria did defend him. But historically, the next time Assyria comes, it's not going to be to defend him. It's going to be to plunder his goods. And so King Ahaz accepts this ungodly alliance with someone who's not serving the Lord. They come and they beat up Judah, and King Ahaz is taking treasury out of the temple of God and giving it to Assyria. This tells me that our hidden dependences are the things that we, we depend on that are resources that are not God. They're people and they're things. They're not designed to help us long term. They give way. They give out. They exhaust. Um, I'll even talk personally here. Uh, my wife and I love one another, but just about every day I disappoint her. Just about every day I come up short. Just about every day I say something that I shouldn't have said. And if she was to put her fulfillment, her happiness, and her dependence in me fully, she would come up short. A lot of us are depending on careers and jobs and relationships and friends and stuff to come up for us. And these things can only last for so long. So what does a hidden dependence do to our faith? It paralyzes the great prayers that we would otherwise send up to God. And it prevents the power and the supernatural move of God in our lives. It's a hidden dependence. It can be a good thing, but it's not the God thing. King Ahaz had a hidden dependence, so he couldn't ask God. The prophet says, as difficult as you want. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to say this. It's all good. God said, as high as heaven or as deep as hell. That's the place of the dead. Sheol. Sheol was, uh, the heaven at that point was Abraham's bosom, the father of our faith. 
Sheol, the dead place, was, was what we call hell. It, 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 there was a chasm between Abraham's bosom and, and hell. It was the place of the dead. So God is saying as high as you want or as deep as hell. Why is this? Because God does not want our lives to reflect the limits of impossibility. He wants our lives to reflect the heights and the depths of God possibility. Oh, boy. There's a major difference between what's impossible and what's God possible. What's impossible is nothing compared to what's God possible. So you got to ask greatly. Lord, bless my children. Bless my finances. Give me a vision. Bless my health. Enable me to be a leader. Extend my territory. Set me free from this addiction. Give me friends that will love me and that will push me forward. Give me this city, Jesus. Give us this area, Lord. You have to ask greatly. Save my mom. Save my dad. Save my spouse. Save my teenage kid. Ask greatly. God wants to do it. And so what is that difficult thing in your life? Have you asked God to take care of it? Have you tested God? I've come to find out that the testing isn't for God, it's for me. The testing wasn't for God. Isaiah told Ahaz to, to test God. It, 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 was, it was for Ahaz. We have to understand that when we ask God for great things, we're not asking heaven to open up and drop down a bag of gold. What we're asking, and we don't know what we're asking, but what we're truly asking when we're asking for great things is for God to enter us into a process that produces great outcomes in every area of our lives. The God outcomes. God ain't just going to give you a job. A little southern slang there. God isn't just going to give you this. God wants to take you through a process of growth. Because sometimes the miracle isn't designed to happen out on the outside of you and for you. But sometimes the greatest miracles are designed to happen in your heart and in your mind and in your spirit. So this is usually how life goes when you follow God. Because I'm glad I was taught by a biblical preacher who really helped me understand that following Jesus isn't peaches and cream. So I want to forewarn you, if you're going to give your life to Christ today, it's the best decision you'll ever make. But you're in for a fight. Because you just left the kingdom of darkness and you've entered the kingdom of light. So I, 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 I used to think before Christ that, oh, I guess, you know, I'm going to not ever have fun again if I give my life to Jesus. But, you know, life is going to be smooth. And ultimately, they're both opposites. I'm having the greatest fun I've ever had in my life, and life is like. But if you notice, I'm, I'm going up. This is how it is when you trust God with everything. It's. Process, 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 event. Process, 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 event. That's how it is with God. God is not going to send a thousand angels to take care of Syria and Israel. He's going to use Judah in the process of overcoming and defeating Syria. In Israel. So when we ask greatly, note this, you're asking God to enter you into a process of greatness in your life. 
I want to read a few things here because we got enough time. I, I was looking for um to just kind of slow it down. I was looking for uh, some some old material. This book was given to me uh, by my boss back in Tallahassee a year after I graduated college in 2010, and I started to write in it in 2012. And I found some pretty cool stuff because I said yes to God for ministry uh, when I was 24, 25. Um, threw away my medical school applications, and I said yes to God, not knowing what I was getting myself into. I thought it was just to pastor, but it was to even start something. Uh, So these are reflections, but they're also questions. Um, This is a month after I made my decision, February 6, 2012. And these are reflections I'll let you know when I get into asking greatly. So a reflection. I put my vision started a short time ago when I was 20 years old, so five years before, I conceived uh, a desire to share God's love and the truths of his word at 20 years old, still reflecting. Uh, My pastor at the time declared that I was an evangelist. An evangelist is someone who goes and shares the good news with anybody. uh, Back in college, I used to, hey, hey, do you know Jesus? And I don't know if I was reaching you or pushing you away, but I was normally pushing people away. And so I said, Pastor, what is that about? I just want to take the King James Bible and talk to everyone about who Jesus is. And he was like, you're an evangelist. You you go around and you spread it. I said, okay. Um, Still a reflection. I desire to teach and uh, set off understanding spiritual light bulbs. Um, This took place around the age of 21. So when when I teach, I like to see the light bulbs go off. So when you say, ooh, ah, ah. Mm. I know the light bulbs are going off. This has been happening for eight years now, obviously. All right. At 22 and 23 years old, there arrived a tangible evidence that my teaching could really be a blessing to the lives of others and that souls would be saved and drawn to Christ. Because I started a small Bible study, like two or three people in my living room, and I used to preach over an ironing board with a beach towel hanging over it, and me and my best friend used to hold it. It was so embarrassing. But you grow, right? So now we're, we, we're grown and we're doing holy karaoke in about a year. So we're going to have a full band up here and there are going to be a thousand people in this room. That's just how that happens. Process, process, process. Come on. I'm talking to my, my moving team now. You can't get tired. God grows it, man. All right. And so this is when I started to ask God, Lord, I would like to be a shepherd, a pastor of a church that will garner the true spirit of worship and praise consistently consistently inviting the presence of the of the holy spirit to perform his will fasting <laughs> will be a top priority for all leadership <laughs> and this component of our growth and relationship with christ will project throughout the members of our church don't be disappearing in january i've been fasting since 2012 lord I would like to win over thousands of souls to the glory of God through Jesus Christ. Lord, allow us to build discipleship programs that uh, will help new believers cultivate growth, maturity, stability, support, love, accountability, and help them find their purpose in God. Lord, give me the ability to raise up leaders under me and allow 
my influence to stretch or something beyond limits. I'm still asking. Um, God, allow multiple ministries to rise up to a point of supplementing all the needs of everyone in our church. Lord, allow the church to have the heart to provide for the needy, both locally, nationally, and internationally. I said both, but I'm in all those. And eventually also, uh, I went on to say, Lord, help me to walk in faith like Abraham did as he followed your voice, guidance, and promptings and commands. This is the vision given to me by the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father, as confirmed by the Holy Spirit. Lord, continue to order my steps so that I may not miss the calling you have designed for me. Allow me to fast and pray that these things may be made clear. Give it a hand clap. Good timing. You've, you couldn't have asked me on February 6, 2012, because first of all, I had just said yes to pastoring, not planting a church. You couldn't have asked me what the name of the church was going to be or who would be sitting in that church service on December the 11th, 2016 in Gaithersburg, Maryland. Wow. Voila. Ask greatly. But it's been a great process over four years. Apply it to your life. This is not just Pastor John. No, Jesus is the star. But there are things that you have to ask greatly for. He can do it. He wants to do it. He will do it. Point number three. Believe the one who has the answer. Six minutes, we're done. Believe the one who has the answer. So Isaiah, uh, as we said earlier, he's talking to King Ahaz, and Ahaz says no, and he says, man, why exhaust human patience? Now you're going to exhaust God's patience. And so the reason... I can, I can, in a sense, relate to Isaiah. The reason you preach so passionately and you prepare for hours throughout the week for your sermon and your message is because you, you've experienced and you believe in what God has told you. And you know that if people just believed it and applied it, it works. And so he says, man, you're annoying the heck out of me. But not just that. We tend to annoy God with our lack of faith and lack of response. Um. And so, unfortunately, because of his lack of belief, Israel and Syria did attack Judah and left Judah devastated. Left it devastated. Second Chronicles is the proof of it. This is the historical reference to this devastation. In a single day, Pekah, Israel's king, killed 120,000 of Judah's troops. All of them experienced warriors. These are people who are supposed to live in utter victory, joy, fulfillment. But they died because of one man's lack of belief in God. And it says this, because they had abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors. Why does, why does the author of Chronicles make this clear? The God of their ancestors. Because the God of their ancestors gave their ancestors decisive victories. 
So what the, what the author is saying is this did not have to be so, but it was all rooted in unbelief. And he goes on to say this, the armies of Israel then captured 200,000 women and children from Judah and seized tremendous, tremendous amounts of plunder, which they took back to Assyria. I wonder how much plunder is the enemy actually taking from your life? Because there are areas where we lack trust. If you don't believe you can go higher, you won't. If you don't believe you can be set free, you won't. If you don't believe you can have impact, you won't. If you don't believe you can be healed, you won't. If you don't believe in the body of Christ and in the church of Jesus, you won't find a healthy church. That's going to help you in your journey. If you don't trust the one who can, he can't. God's hands are often tied because our faith is often tied to our doubt. And so I don't think life boils down to what we believe. Like, I believe in that chair. But the only thing that chair can do for me is provide me a seat. Like, it doesn't even boil down to if I believe, like, this book. Um, if I believe in, in, in my team, it does not boil down. Life doesn't boil down to what you believe. Life boils down to who you believe. Because the Bible says that everything we see was created by what is unseen. So we're surrounded by a whole bunch of what, 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 things, 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 when we ought to be focused on the who. I want to share a story with you. Um, we launched this church with $13,000. Just going to be a transparent moment real quick because this is going to lift us up. $13,000. Everything you see, stage, pipe and drape, these chairs are the schools, praise God. Um, that would have been our whole kids' budget, what you're sitting in. Um, the kids' department, lobby, outside, $13,000. But it was sort of sketchy because all of our equipment was all over the place. If you were here like three weeks ago and you would have seen, seen our U-Haul truck and we, you know, Chris driving that thing and everything just <laughs> tolling all over the and like, Chris, what's that, man? I don't know. And so it was, it was real sketchy. We had to, it was a crate here and a crate here and a pole here and a pole here and pipe and drape here. And, by, and it's like, we had to carry everything hand by hand, hand by hand. And so in September, before we launched the church, I told God, I said, well, we're going to blow everything we have in the bank, and that's what we did. Sometimes you, you do that. You step out on faith, and you trust God, and we literally were down to the month's rent and like 500 bucks, and it's like, are we going to be able to pay November's rent? <laughs> and, and God showed forth faithful during that first service. I mean, I mean, everyone gave my whole family over there. They came through. Here you go, son. Thank you so much. You just paid our rent. So anyway, um, we're not that kind of church, so I'm just telling you this as a testimony. So um, I prayed to God. I said, well, in December, I'll buy one or two road cases because we should have the finances as a church by then. The last week of November, I'm looking at our budget, and I'm like, yeah, those road cases are going to have to wait until April or May. We're just going to have to keep 
hey, volunteers, you got to stretch, you got to sacrifice, you got to press in. Lives are being changed. Okay. December 1st, I'm getting ready to put my son to bed. And I get a phone call from a friend who we've only texted since we've moved here, back and forth. And um, he, uh, I pick it up. He, he's in a church about 45 minutes away from here. And he says, hello. I said, hey, how are you? Good to speak to you. He said, yeah, man, it, it's Christmas, isn't it? I said, yeah, it's December. <laughs> he said, um, well, Merry Christmas. I've been watching you on social media, and you guys are killing it in Gaithersburg, and I believe in you guys, even though I haven't met you yet. Um, lives are being changed, and we can tell that God has a big calling on this church and anyone that ever gets involved in it. They had just moved from their portable location into their permanent building. They asked greatly, and God answered. And he said, um, December 1st, he said, um, we have 35 to 40 road cases. He said, they're all yours. Come on. Come on, man. Come on. We got to get out this comfortability. We got to start praising and moving. God wants to move. And so I said, he said, are you still there? I'm like, I dropped my baby on his head. I'm like, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm still here. Come again. He said, yeah, man, 35 to 40 road cases, they're all yours. And a road case is a big box on wheels. You can customize them. You can put wires in them. You can put TVs in them. They go anywhere between like $600,000 and $20,000 depending on the road case. I believe Chris's numbers are still high, but I'll go with his numbers. So we went. He said, the only thing I need you to do is get them within a week. We sent Chris. He said, but if you can get out here today and tag them, they're yours, as many as you want. And so I said, Chris, we don't just want to go ham. Like, we don't just want to take it all. So let's just get enough for now in the foreseeable future. Chris goes out, and he, he tags like 10 of them. And so we launched this church at $13,000. Chris says, estimated the road cases, the boxes that hold the equipment is worth $50,000. Just the boxes for the equipment. And so, come on, clap that up. I haven't forgotten about King Ahaz, and I haven't forgotten about you. What am I saying? I'm saying because we believed the one, he was gracious enough to give us the answer we never asked for. I didn't ask for boxes. I said, we're going to pay for them. But we believed him. He surpassed the request and said, I'm going to bless you with more than enough anyway. Come on, clap that up. We're closing in. Uh, it took us over about two minutes, but I think, it was, I think it's good. So I asked him to provide, but I didn't ask him to go above and beyond. He did it anyway. King Ahaz didn't believe the one. Therefore, he missed the answer he never asked for. The Christmas message is this. <laughs> I'm going to wrap Christmas up in one minute during this whole 45. <laughs> the Christmas message is that God is with you. 
And when God comes into your life, he brings all of his power through the Holy Spirit. All of his presence. All of his promises. All of his provision. But I want to leave you with this. The message of the good news of Jesus is only as good to you as the response it receives from you. God is with you. Now respond. Let's clap that up. Woo! Oh, boy. Clap it up again. Let's clap. Come on. Celebrate. Oh, Jesus. Now, if we had a band, it would be on and popping. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, sorry. All right, so what I want to do is um, we're at, we're asking greatly, right? Um, so if you're a musician, you need to step it on up and contribute to what's going on. Anyway, we got business to do. We're going to close out. If you've never given your life to Christ, maybe today is your day. As you head into a new year, how amazing it will be to start the new year off as a new creation in Jesus, a new start. You've done enough church. You've done enough reading and doubting. It's time to trust him with your life and with your heart. What we're going to do is, as always, we're going to bow our heads. I'm just going to count to three. All it takes is faith. God loves you. Jesus wants your trust, and he wants to bless you. We're just going to count to three, and if that be you, you just raise your hand while we keep our heads bowed. One, two, three. If you're giving your life to Christ today, praise God. God bless you. God bless you. Church, you can put that hand down. Oh, man, I just got chills. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, clap that up. Um, repeat after me and then we're going to head out we're going to pray the prayer of salvation with this individual God bless you just repeat after me church Lord God we love you we praise you thank you for your love thank you for your forgiveness thank you for your grace Jesus I make you Lord Holy Spirit come into my heart I turn from my sins. In Jesus' name, amen.